0: Shabbat Shalom. Did you know that 13.6% of Canadians aged 20 years and older, which is 3.9 million of us, live with osteoarthritis? Thank you, Public Health Agency of Canada, for that statistic. Some of you know that I am one of those lucky 3.9 million Canadians. I live with osteoarthritis, or OA, which is a progressive disease of the joint, and it most commonly affects the joints of the hands, or the feet, or the hip, or the knees, or the spine, but for me, it's my left knee. So how does my OA impact me? Well, even though I participate in Torah and Tree Pose, which is our monthly mindfulness and yoga class, I don't do all of the poses. I listen to my body. I've also learned the hard way that walking up or down the Casaloma stairs or the stairs that reach the footbridge of the Cedar Vale Ravine, they're poison-like for me. So I just don't attempt to do them anymore. But every now and then I experience a flare up, like I did in June 2021 when we moved into our house and I was walking up and downstairs more than usual, or this past two coats as I decorated our sukkah and I wasn't paying attention that I was going up and downstairs, even though it was just three at a time, but it was three here, four there, three here, four there, Ugh, it was not good. And so when that happens, Tylenol and other pain medications become my friend, and I ice my knee at home, and I engage in minimal fetching, more like acknowledging the sensation of pain to my family, and then the pain eventually subsides. Now, some of you have lovingly noticed that I don't always do so well on the BEMA steps in the sanctuary, because those steps in that room, are actually really difficult for people with bad knees. But here's the amazing part. The osteoarthritis does not define who I am. It is not who I am, but it's always there. And I join legions of people who have so many different physical disabilities that do not define who they are. In chapter 32, verse 25 of this week's parsha, we read, Yaakov, <speaking in Hebrew> Jacob, was left alone. And a figure wrestled with him until the break of dawn. Now, who this figure is, this Ish, that's up to interpretation, and the commentaries go to town with ideas. But what happens as a result of this wrestling match? Well, Jacob didn't fare so well. <speaking in Hebrew> When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he wrenched Jacob's hip at the socket. So the socket of his hip was strained and he wrestled with him. Strained is a nice way of saying what happened to him. Rashi writes that it was violently torn from the joint. And Rashi's grandson, the Rashbam, he writes that the hip was completely dislocated from the socket. And Ghis Kuni wrote also that the Ish succeeded in dislocating his thigh. And so the residuals of this wrestling match was that Yaakov was never the same physically. He was left with a limp for the rest of his life. So, how did this disability impact the stress? of losing Joseph and then finding Joseph. What was going on with the mind-body connection at that point? How did he travel to Egypt? And was he able to get down on the ground and play with all of his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren with that particular disability? I don't know. I've always wondered, how did it impact his sense of self? because I know that it does not make me feel good when my own child needs to help me up from the floor or when she says things to me like, Ima, is this your good knee or your bad knee before she turns me into a human jungle gym? She should have a mom with two good knees, right? But she doesn't. Rabbi Adam Zeff writes that the limp is not a sign of failure on Jacob's part. After all, the angel says that he has wrestled with beings human and divine and then prevailed. Instead, the continued weakness in Jacob's leg that causes his limp is a marker of his encounter with holiness. Now, having a physical disability is not always a marker of an encounter with holiness, but it is never a failure. Throughout the year, our tradition emphasizes inclusion and noting differences. At Pesach, we invite four different children to the Seder, and then we break matzah, one reason being to acknowledge that we are not whole. At Shavuot, we learn from Midrash that all were present at Sinai, regardless of our abilities. And at Sukkot, there's a Midrash that the Arba, Minim, the lulav and the Etrog, they represent all Jews bound together, able bodied or not. Now, Yaakov from this week's Parsha, he wasn't the only person in the Torah that we know about that had a physical disability, the most prevalent being Moses. With his speech impediment, a severe speech impediment, so severe he needed Aaron to speak for him, Moses was still able to lead the Israelites to both God and the Promised Land. And we also know that there were other physical disabilities. In the Holiness Code of Vayikwah, we read, do not curse a person who is deaf, and do not place a stumbling block in front of a person who is blind. During the time of the Torah, even back then, there were people who couldn't see 100%, and who couldn't hear 100%. Now, the glasses that so many of us are wearing and those really teeny tiny hearing aids that a lot of you are wearing, they're innovative for our time. But the reason for wearing them has been around since the Torah. Now, the prophet Necha said, Vayom ne umadonai Adonai osfa ha On that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and will gather the outcasts. Lame, defined as unable to walk without difficulty as a result of an injury or illness affecting the leg or the foot, like the patriarch Yaakov or me. My teacher, my own teacher, Rabbi Bradley Shavit Artson, who has long been a passionate advocate for human dignity and inclusion, he teaches that the Mishnah says, or it's written in the Mishnah, don't look at the flask, but what it contains inside of it. In teaching ourselves, he writes, to see the inner sparks that light a person's soul, Rather than merely glancing at the casing that holds those precious assets of personality, aspiration, and caring, we can act like God in the wilderness, healing when we can and transcending limits when we cannot. Rabbi Artson has twins, a boy and a girl, and Jacob is a person who is nonverbal and has autism. Jacob communicates, and he's been doing it for years, via facilitated communication. And instead of speaking like this, he types on a computer or an iPad. A few years ago at an event, Jacob communicated the following I'm a person just like you, said Jacob. I'm a part of a wonderful Jewish family. I vote. I like playing sports. And I listen to NPR. The difference between us is that I communicate by typing and most of you communicate by speaking. I want to propose that including people with disabilities in faith communities really isn't about disability at all. In my experience, inclusion is really a mindset that each person has dignity and value, no matter who they are. I think in the end, all human beings want to feel we can belong. In the first chapter of the Torah, God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. And God created all of us in God's image. We are all created in the same image of God, even if we have a bad knee or hip, (laughs) or if we're hard of hearing, or if we're on the spectrum. Since 2009, the North American Jewish communities have been celebrating Jewish Disability Awareness Month, which is now known as Jewish Disability Awareness Acceptance and Inclusion Month. It's a February month, and obviously it's not February. It's December something. But this message should not be designated for one month of the year only. If Yaakov started limping in this week's Parsha, that disability and inclusion can be discussed now. So I wanna leave you today with four ways to be an ally to people with disabilities from a much larger piece, as outlined, it, outlined by Jordan Daschow when he was the Eisendraft Legislative Assistant for the Religious Action Center of the Reform Movement. And he's currently the Executive Director of the US Congressional LGBTQ Equality Caucus. And these are his four suggestions. Number one, listen to people with disabilities. No one knows how to advocate for people with disabilities better than people with disabilities themselves. And being an ally isn't about taking charge. It's about being willing to learn from people with disabilities and modeling your inclusion and advocacy efforts based on their priorities. Number two, educate yourself. No one is born an ally, but through continuous education, we can better ourselves to be stronger allies. Number three, be conscious of the language that we use. When speaking about people with disabilities, we shouldn't use ableist language or derogatory language, which we know. When I described Jacob Artson, I said he is a person who is nonverbal and has autism. I didn't call him a nonverbal autistic person. There's a huge difference. It might seem small, but it's not. Because Jacob was a person first. Yaakov, our patriarch, was a biblical person with a limp. I'm a person who has osteoarthritis, and our disabilities don't define us. And the fourth is that we should work for inclusion in our community, and our READY task force is really working on that. While it's important to remove physical barriers to people with disabilities, it's just as important, if not even more so, to change our attitudes towards people with disabilities. Imperkei Avot Hillel taught, "Do not separate yourself from the community," and that simple text is such a touchstone text for me because those words encapsulate a full philosophy of inclusion and belonging. Alti frush hasibur, "Do not separate yourself from the community," reminds us that there are structural barriers that we are responsible for tearing down so that the walls of our sanctuaries and the bonds of our communities are open to everyone. We're all created in God's image. That's how we should be defined. That's what unites humanity. All of us, whether we are able-bodied or not. Shabbat shalom.